0: This is what's important. They are now celebrating their 5th anniversary. They are selling all these records out. They they run up to 595, 495 list prices. Stereo, monaural, jazz, roller skating records, accordion records, guys playing phones, other guys playing semper fidelis on their teeth, Yugoslavian choirs marching through the mud of Lake Chad. They've got it all there. Thousands of records, 77 cents a piece. But if you are a listener, they are going to carry out their two-for-one policy, six for $2, or if you buy one for 77 you can pick any other record in the house, but you've got to go fast. You've got to get down there quickly. It is a one-week deal. It's, uh, it's at 399 6th Avenue, just off 8th Street. It's the only place in town. This is the Paper Book Gallery, 3996. Got it? It's in the village, just off 8th Street. Right, next to the Howlett Johnson. Now, let's see. Uh, Speaking of other places, uh, as far as I'm concerned, one of the very few places in this town, and particularly down in the village, that makes it all the way and in every direction, and I mean every direction, is the limelight. And uh, uh, if you have not been into the limelight, I would most respectfully request that you visit uh, it's a pl- one of the very few places I know where you can just sit, you know, and scratch for hours on end. And nobody says anything, neither Marty nor, nor Kelsey. In fact, they would just assume you don't talk to them. And uh, it's, it's a great place. It's down on 7th Avenue South, right in the middle of Sheridan Square. Just take any subway down to the Sheridan Square uh, exit, and it's right there. It's 7th Avenue South on Sheridan Square, the limelight. They have food, they have drink. It's a good, great place to sit. And it really doesn't get swinging until after midnight. So if you're looking for a place seven nights a week, after midnight, after the theater, this this makes it all the way. The limelight. Most of the best years of my youth were misspent sitting there. Under those rotten chandeliers. Those paper rotten chandeliers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. That's the limelight. Got it? You know, speaking of... Uh, of rotten, misspent youth. <laughs> do you remember the day when you, when your real education started? You don't. Oh, yes, you do. You just don't. You don't recall it. No, it's. I think people remember everything that they've ever experienced. Uh, the trick is, of course, in bringing it out. The trick is in bringing it out and then putting to it and making out of it some kind of sense. Most people never make any sense out of their lives at all. They just leave it lay there in the corner, you know, quivering a little bit, sweating and snorting. But uh, it, it does, you know, it does, after a period, make sense. I remember, now, I have to, we have to preface this. I, because I, this is a story I've been kind of debating not to tell uh, for some time, because it's, no, it is a very embarrassing story. In many ways, it has ramifications that, uh, well, that might be difficult for the squeamish to accept. So uh, let's uh, sugarcoat it here, add just a little, 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 little pill. Oh, not Beethoven, and for Christ's not sugarcoating and putting knobs on it. That's it. Hey, uh, you know I'm gonna have to sing that song again. I haven't sung. Does anybody want me to sing Ragtime Cowboy Joe before I tell you this rotten story? Let's see. Uh, let's see out uh, in Arizona where the bad men are. The only thing to find you is an evening star. The roughest, toughest man by far is ragtime cowboy Joe. Okay, let's go. Hit it, Eddie. One, two. Think, <coughs> 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 think, 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 He always sings. Swingy music to the cattle as he swings. Oh, back and forward in the saddle on the horse. Then the syncopated gated and there's such a funny meter through the roar of his repeater. Oh, they run, oh. When they hear the fellow's gun, because the Western folks don't oh know He's a high and root tootin', shooting son-of-a-gun from Arizona All right, cut it out That's printed right here, I know where I got it Right there, in the music sheet No, check it Check it <laughs> It's all right, that shows my heart's in the right place Oh, he swings, a raggedy music to us Let's see, as he swings Swingy music to the cattle as he swings Back and forward in the saddle on a horse that is syncopated, gated, and there's such a funny meter to the roar of his repeater, how they run when they hear this fellow's gun because the Western folks all know he's a high pollutant scootin', shootin', ah, oh, there you go. high pollutant, scootin', shootin', son of a gun from Arizona, ragtime cowboy. Oh, what a cowboy, ragtime cowboy, Joe. Very good. No, that's all right, that's all right. I made a mistake. It's okay. It's okay. Don't, don't, don't confuse the issue here. I've confused it enough. Now... I'll tell you the story. Now that I've gotten the clinkers out and changed the ashes here and uh, shifted all the gears, there was this time. This could be called an army story, but it is not really an army story. So don't write down on a note this is an army story. It is not. Uh, This story, like all we like to think good stories, has deeper implications, ramifications, and reverberations, which are the worst. It's the reverberations you see that get you later. As you bounce off the cushions, heading towards the side pocket, all of a sudden you get hit by the waves. Well, I'm in the Army, see. Now, I must tell you one thing. Most of us have a, uh, at some what are you writing in this? Stop writing, do you? At some point in our life, there is a great milestone that changes. It's like A, D, B, C. You know what I mean? There is an A.D. person and a B.C. person. Like, you, you... Well, now, don't look at me so dumb. Do you know what I mean by A.D., B.C.? Well, that was a great turning point in history. Mankind was different B.C. A.D., he changed, right? Okay, we like to assume that. All right. Uh, Industrial Revolution, pre-Industrial Revolution, man was one thing. After the Industrial Revolution going up, he was another, right? Okay. All right. Well, now, we all have our own little private A.D.B.C. periods. We all have the period when you were one thing, one day, and sneakily something happened, and the next day changed forever, never to go back. You never knew when it happened, but it sure did happen. Well, let me tell you. My, my gigantic milestone was the Army. And I think it was the, the, the milestone for a lot of guys, even guys that are going in the Army now, you cannot escape it. You are yanked out of your known world, the world that you figure you got it all pegged out. You got all the lines of communication worked out, you know, Ed. You got the, you got the transportation worked out. You know all the mores. You know everything. You're, you're part of the world. Most people don't even know that they know their own world. You know, just like a jungle cat knows the jungle. He knows the jungle very well. All of a sudden, you throw him in the Bronx Zoo. He's got a whole new set of things to learn. But when he was in the jungle, he did not know that he knew all that he knew about the jungle. He just did it, you know. He just swung, you know. He swung, you know, that sniff and scratch and run around and hide in the bushes. He didn't know that he was doing that, and he didn't know he was good at it. Well, now suddenly he's yanked out, thrown into the Bronx Zoo, and he remembers how great he was in the jungle. But now he is learning another terrain. He is learning about the cage, you know, and the guy that comes with the stuff and throws it in. All the kids with the balloons and the people that throw pencils at him. and. He's learned. The, he's he's learning a whole new set of things, and and, uh, and and yes, you you learn your whole world. Now there there are several philosophical zeitgeist is the word. There are several other philosophical words that refer to the entire schlammu. You know you live in all the things, the little rules you've got. You wear pants. You put this on. You you know you talk this way and you you move a certain way and all. Oh, uh, you pick up your fork a certain way. You don't realize that you are a creature of a billion habits. Most of them acquired. You know how to pick up a fork, you know how to pour water into a cup, you know all these things. You, you'd be surprised at about 45 different ways of pouring water into a cup. We do it one way because we have a set of rules. You don't think so? All right. You take a bucket, you're... It could go all over the place. You, you just want to get the water in a cup? Then you throw the bucket in the corner. Bang! Crash! And then you grab the cup and two hands are... Okay, that's one way. You don't do it. Right? You see what I mean? Well, all right. I am this kid, see? And I, little did I know, I was a primitive. I really was a primitive. I'm living in the swamp. I'm hollering and yelling and playing baseball and sweating. I never knew, you know, that you should be nervous. I did not know you should be sensitive. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean, Ed? I did not know that you should be artistic. I, 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 you know I had vaguely heard of the word talent but that really meant to me a guy that could go out under a long pass you see and make a fantastic one-headed grab of it over to the sidelines you know and plunge into the stands as he did it that way we didn't even call it talent we just said, hey Wallace you got it that was about all there was to it you know <laughs> and so it was a primitive world I did not realize I was a pure primitive up until the day I went into the army I really was My idea of a fantastic evening was to go and see a rotten movie with this chick and drive around in my Ford, holler and yell out the window, and go to the drive-in. That was the scene. You know, I'd knock down some root beers and some hot dogs, get sick, drive all the way back home hollering, try to put my arm around this chick, get belted, and then get home. That's it, you know. Then go home, work the rig, get tired, go to bed. That's the end of it. Well, then one day they came and got me. They front me in an entirely different world, and a world that changed all of my attitudes, everything. It, it took me out of the whole the whole bit, the whole thing. But remember, when I went into the Army, I'm still what I am, you see. A primitive, like all the rest of the guys, most of them anyway. Just, you know, big buboisier metacama. A proletariat. What? So I wind up in this place, and they give me tests and all that. Well, I had, I, I owned, one thing I owned that set me apart from my fellows. I had a license, an amateur radio license. This is a this is a highly technical license that's offered and issued by the government. And in those days, it was much harder to get than it is today. It, 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 in short, it was a very valuable piece of paper, which I never looked upon as valuable. It was just a great thing to have. You know, I was on the air and hollering and yelling and building antennas and falling off roofs. I'm going to tell you about the time this friend of mine, you, the frenzy of amateur radio gets you so badly, at. That this friend of mine one time was up on the roof with me. We were on the roof of his garage, which was a big high garage, it was about a story, two stories and a half. And we're putting up a 40 meter Zep antenna. And we got the big—he has a big, uh, a big mass sticking up there. And I'm pulling the I'm pulling the guy wires tight. We're both up on this thing. We are so intense about what we're doing, so insane about getting it done, that the wind came. Whoosh, and it's blowing me, and I'm hanging on to the guy wires. And Johnny Anderson is the guy I'm talking about. He's hanging onto the mast. It's blowing around. He's, wait a minute, I'll grab the other guy wire. So he runs over to the other end of the garage, grabs the guy wire, and suddenly I see him ball plane. Ooh. he's sailing out over space. The wind caught him. He does a beautiful Immelman right in midair. He, he does a couple of slow rolls. He ball planes. he's gone. Just disappears. I'm hanging on to the guy wire. Hey, Anderson, the guy wire's loose. You let go of the wire. Oh, for crying out loud. And I'm hanging back and forth, and I, I, I he's gone, you know, and I'm not worrying about him at all, because now suddenly the antenna's slack. It's all going to come down. Hey, the guy wire. A little realizing the guy has flown about two stories out onto the terrain and the concrete driveway below. So, hey, Anderson, the guy wire. And then I hear from way wave- below. Hey, will be right up. And I'm holding on. Suddenly, his head appears back over the edge of the garage. He has gotten the ladder. He's climbed back up, and he's hanging under the wire again. Whoa! Oh, hey. We get it battened down. We're tightening the little winches and the screws, and we're... ho oh, oh, Hey! Bolas! Bolas! Will you pull the other... Bolas is on the other roof. See? Bolas! Bolas! Hey! Oh! Boing, oh, 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 oh. He busts another guy wire. Whoa! Oh, oh. Well, we fought that wind for about two and a half hours. Yelling and hollering, we finally get this, the 40-meter antenna up. we were all three nuts. We rush down into the basement and load it up. We're trying to see whether it works, you know. The, 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 we're getting the 600-ohm line. We got standing waves that go from East Chicago, Indiana, all the way to Kentucky. Oh, boy. Oh, we got to cut the, oh, the leader off. We got to trim off. Five minutes later, we're back. Up. It's getting dark, and the wind is howling. And we're trying to we're trying to get the standing waves out of the out of the feed grinds. You know, we're trying to get a trip. We finally get this thing going just as night falls. Johnny is down there. He loads her up. He gets on forty. It works beautifully. And then he collapses with nine broken ribs. <laughs> Never said a word before that. The frenzy was on him. I'll tell you, when the frenzy gets guys, nothing is going to get in their way. Well, this, this is the kind of world I lived in. You know? Guys, we're not that, you know, sensitive. we just did it. We were out there fighting. We're primitives. Well, the Army took one look at that piece of paper and said, Aha, they gave me about 94 tests, and the next thing I know, I am at the University of Chicago. Yanked right out of this primitive world, and I am at the University of Chicago in microwave techniques, studying microwaves, studying radiation, studying all kinds of the, of, of the most esoteric, ultra, and VHF lore that you could possibly imagine, and some that you couldn't imagine. Highly secret, boy. Oh, I'm, I'm wild with excitement. Oh, boy, I'm in. I'm, I'm immediately. I'm up to my ears in vector analysis and wave analysis. I'm really working. I love this stuff. I'm batting. And then they come around. Me, see, I'm just primitive. Uh, oh, up to this point, life is simple. It, you know, you can get a vector analysis out and you start working on the Kirchhoff law problems and the, all this. Well, one day, there was a bulletin on the bulletin board. And it said, from now on, all the EM of this command will henceforth cease to wear GI uniform and will, as of the date listed, begin to wear civilian clothes. Well, I'll tell you, that was absolutely fantastic. I mean, you know, you get rid of this crummy, scratchy suit, and you put on your jazzy sport coat, you're in the Army, you got it all going for you, you know, and it's the war. So, so, the, so, you know, everybody is cheering and hollering. I take off the thing. And you must remember that I was still with a bunch of guys who were pretty, pretty much like me, a lot of guys who were involved in vector analysis and we saw this shadowy group around us all the time, with the beards, guys carrying the little worn books with the Swinburne and stuff. You know, they, they, but they were separate from us. And suddenly, we were part of it. We were just thrown in there, you know, just part of it. And I'm hanging around down in the coffee shop and down in the commons, and and up to this point, you know, I've been, there, been a soldier. There, there been a very distinct a delineation, you know, and now I'm in with this crowd. Well, at first, it didn't mean much. They were just people. Until one day, there was a note on the bulletin board. It said, we are now rearranging and assigning you. it's a week. Quarters. We were living in civilian quarters around the campus. I lived in a room on the corner of 55th and Woodlawn, which is right across the street from the main gate of the university. And this room was operated, I swear this must have been the woman who was the original model for Mary Worth. She looked exactly like Mary Worth, and you know how nosy that old bag is? This was Mary Worth right down to a T. This old doll, I'm telling you, you couldn't squeak your shoes. And she is hollering up through the register wanting to know what you're doing up there, see? And and, and I'll tell you, I'd walk I'd I'd past the campus three blocks away with a chick, and she would know. Old Mary Worth, all right. So there she was, this old nosy old doll, and I'm I'm living there. <laughs> They aside me to this big room in this old house. It's a typical Chicago architecture. You know that Chicago's architecture is very different from New York's. You go to Chicago, and the first thing you will notice, particularly on the, on the south side in that area, on the near north side, is Chicago uh, architecture of just before the turn of the century. Great bay windows and wildly, uh, oh, uh, just, just, Insanely, couple of uh, Victorian roofs, and great mansards. Their 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 uh, their whole architectural attitude is different. You know, Frank Lloyd Wright is from Chicago. Uh, it's much more interesting architecturally than New York City, much much more. And you can walk if you if you love to draw, you can walk for hours in Chicago and go out of your skull. I love to draw uh, Chicago buildings. There's millions of just plain places, you know, where people live. Great bold windows sticking out and high towers and all kinds of of uh, crenellated cornices and great flying buttresses and all oh, it's, it's wild out there and, and some of the most beautiful old places in America are in Chicago they don't know it in Chicago they just knock them down but uh, when they have to but they're, they're lovely so I'm living in this ancient Victorian house with huge windows great sheets of windows with the green shades you know and those green those uh, green uh peculiar-looking uh, shingles that look like scales, you know, the kind they have. That they, they're all rounded on the corners, and little scale-like things, and it had, it had uh, great big lightning rods up at the top, big silver balls on top of the lightning rods, and had big brass knockers. It was a real, a real Chicago place. And it had a, had stairs. When you'd walk up the stairs, every time you'd turn on a faucet, it would go... And you could hear houses for blocks reverberating, and some guy would flush the john at Fifty Seventh Street up time, to- ah! 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 and you'd stand there, and all of a sudden your 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 bathtub would go spit right up to the ceiling, just because you know all the way blocks around everything was reciprocal all around that whole neighborhood. Well, I'm living up there, and I'm a GI, see, and. I'm in this beautiful room it's, it's a great big room It was Oh A great big son of a gun Had big wooden closets And all of that And I'm a GI And, and every Actually I'm in civilian clothes see, And every night we have this big bold windows On on each side On the corner Well now The thing that is important I would look out of this bold window And look right down at Stag Field re- You know what was going on In Stag Field that day Yes they were inventing the atom bomb. Right across the street from where I lived. Right directly across, right down under my window. That that was a the thing they called the Arlington Woods Project. Was Arlington Woods? Argonne Forest. Now, what was the phrase they used? It was either Argonne Forest, Arlington Woods. Didn't you remember? I think it was Argonne. Argonne, yeah. And I would see the trucks pulling up all the time, and it would say Argonne Woods on the side. Nobody knew what it was. Uh, they just figured that they were trying to bring back the University of Chicago football team over there, and that would take a lot of work, secret scientific work at night, uh, if you know anything about the University of Chicago. And you could see the field right over there. It was right out, right off the window. And the big grandstands where later, I, I understood, of course, they were doing, Fermi and all these guys were making the atomic pile. It was directly across, I mean, like 200 feet from, oh, 200, what am I talking about? Like 75 feet right there. It was there. And it was in that building when they were doing it. So I'm looking on, I, you know, I see these guys, and, and there, were, there were a lot of guards there, uh, just GI-type guards, but there were GI guards on a lot of places on the campus. In fact, there was a GI guard on a place right down the street where they had two little green lights out in front of it, and that for you GI types. And all the women are wondering what's he talking about there. But you tell them later after we go off the air what the green light means. Two hours you got, man, no more. Well, right across is this place. So I'm very happy. I'm just you know I'm, I'm really swinging. Every night I'm down to the Bamboo Hut and I'm hollering at all the chicks. And, and there's a bookshop there. There was a, the very first. Uh, type bookshops that we have today, you know, with with the uh, paper book, the beat type, and, oh, it's all going on there. And I don't know what this is all about. You know, I I, I once in a while go, hey, let's go bowling." And these people would turn and look at me. What is this? Bowling, crying out loud. And uh, I did not realize that I was meeting the first crowd of the sensitives. And, of course, most of them were older than I am. I'm roughly 17 (laughs) at the period, you know. Got to know that. So one day, I am in the pad there and it's a great day. It's it's like this. It's a spring day, and I'm, I'm feeling just, you know, great. And it, uh, uh, everything is happening. I met this chick in the coffee shop, and uh, I'm, I'm beginning to see the world, you know. it's, it's uh, I don't feel the same old kick when I walk past the used car lot like I used to feel, you know. And now I'm, I'm looking at other things, and, and one day there is a knock on the door. And I say, what do you want? I thought it was that old babe, you know. Now what do you want? And he says, may I come in? And I say, well, well, yeah, who are you? The door opens, and in steps what later was to prove to be a faithful being. Walks into the room, a tall, thin guy. He had a long, aquiline nose, a totally disdainful air, and a strange way of speaking. He spoke like that. I had never heard anyone speak this way at all, of course. Uh, of course, in Hammond, Indiana, they don't quite speak like this. Uh, uh, we, we uh, as a matter of fact, at that point, I had never even heard of Westchester County. And uh, we just, uh, we just not our world. He walked in and he said, hello. I said, well, hi. Uh, my name, uh, are you listening to me? And I said, well, Yeah. My name is Carlton S. Anderson. Carlton S. Anderson. That is his name. I don't know where he is today. Carlton S. Anderson was the first guy I ever met from the Fate east. He was the first true village, Westchester County, uh, Princeton, hip, beat, the whole bit. And I'm, you know, I'm just a guy. See, <laughs> I don't know anything about these. None of these words had anything. And he came into the room, and he said, uh, uh, "Which which one of these beds are you using?" I said, "Well, the one by the window." No. And with that, he goes over and he opens the window wide. Again, this is part... Oh, I, I didn't. I have. I have to tell you this. He was also fantastically wealthy. He was, uh, there's a great village word referring to rich kids like that. Uh, I cannot tell it to you on the air because it's obscene. But he was that. He had a lot of dough. He was infinitely educated. He was highly aesthetic. And there I was, you know. And I, at, at that point, I was able to handle anything that came into my world. I would run over it, hit it. Or would kick it. Or I would throw it past. Or uh, I would yell at it. Anything else I could handle except at this point. And I had I had the whole world figured out. So he said, he said, well, uh, since I've been assigned to this, uh, this room, we might as well be friends. Uh, we have, we'll probably have to live together, and we'll have to make the best of it, so we might as well be friends. Now, uh, if you don't wish to talk to me, I would find that pleasant. However, if you do wish to talk to me, I'll go along with it. And I will try to make the best of the situation. Okay. So I kind of withdrew, you see. And he was very friendly. He got a friendly look about him. He, uh, just just was telling me the way it was. And he had with him about 5,000 books of the type I had never seen before. I was used to the Canary murder case. Uh, once in a while, P.G. Wodehouse. And occasionally such a racy item as Ned at the lake that sort of thing. Uh, well, I, I, you know, the amateur radio handbook, that that I could understand. But this guy starts to unload all kinds of stuff and it was the first time I'd ever heard of Kierkegaard. He is unloading Kierkegaard, Schopenhauer. He has the whole bit and he's putting them up over his bunk on the shelf that was given over to books. And Of course, there was my collection of the outdoor chums at the lake over there in the left. <laughs> and he's putting up all the rest of his stuff. Well, I I said well I said well look, you don't mind if I call you Carl. No, that's that's perfectly all right. Actually, that's what they called me camp. Camp. Well, I figured you know he's talking about basic. I said where'd you go? I was at Monmouth. (laughs) Oh, oh, you mean basic? Oh, wow. I said well what kind? What do you mean camp? Well, that was the first time I heard of the Eastern Prep camp. You know where they where they ride to the hounds. And, uh, you know, that sort of thing is there's a very different kind of camp. I was used to this one week that they would send me from the Boy Scout troop. It was over past the Calumet City dumps where, where they had this ground that they had, had leveled. You know, we put up a couple of tents and would holler at each other and eat chili. That was camp. <laughs> and, and so, you know, so I, I have been here for a while, and he has just been assigned. So I says, hey, Carl, listen, I'll tell you what, Carl, I know the ropes around here, and... Uh, and, uh, uh, why don't we go down... Let's go down and have dinner together. I'll take you down to the cafeteria. I'm being, you know, the old chef, the G.I. Come on, let's go. And <laughs> we'll go bowling. we we'll go down to the Bamboo Inn. I'll show you around to the boys. You, you, you're going to get a kick out of gasser. Or... Well, so we're... I says, let's go down and we'll eat. And I'll take you down. He says, well, that's very good of you. Very good. He says, you don't mind. I, I like to read. Right? So he reaches over and he grabs this, uh... I think it was Sonic Zuberay something very, very esoteric at that time to me. And he takes this thing, and we walk down through the campus. Well, of course, me being on the campus, it was just, you know, I'm, I'm this primitive. I was just at this place where I was learning about uh, vector analysis. He was on the campus. Do you understand the difference? He belonged. I didn't know that he belonged. he had just joined us. He'd been just sent up from, from, I'll tell you where it was, Fort Custer. He had just come there. Well, we're walking through the campus... And he is walking with the slow, easy lope of a man who grew up in Princeton. Spent a few summers doing a little postgraduate work at Yale. I did not know it. This guy had ivy growing on him. I'm serious. And, and I didn't realize. What he, I just thought he acted kind of funny. At first I thought he's what we used to call a sissy. Well, uh, you know, I, I didn't quite know how to figure it. Because he didn't talk like all the sissies I knew. We, we got into the coffee shop. And within five minutes... This guy has seventeen people and they're yelling and hollering. He's jumping from one table to the other, the guy he recognized part of the clan. They didn't know each other, they just knew each other by the eyeball or something, you know. I mean one hippie sees another hippie and they know, you know. And there's beards and chicks and everybody's hollering. I haven't gotten none of these people have said anything to me for months, you know, I've been there I just figured they were the other side. And Carlton is over there yelling and hollering and they're all yelling. And then once in a while, he turned back and said, Oh, uh, uh, would you tell her to bring more ketchup, please? Uh, what would you say her name was? And I'm sitting over there with our hamburgers, and finally he comes over and eats the hamburgers in silence and says, I think I'm going to have a very good time here. You know, uh, it was such a such a delight seeing Clarence. I'll, have to show, I'll introduce you to Clarence and Howard. And, and uh, for crying out loud, Sylvia showed up. And all of his friends were there. It was just like there's an international clan of people who know. And I was outside. So that night, I go back to the pad, and I... I you know, he's, he's going through Sonic Zuberay, and the wind is howling through, and Mary Worth is banging on the doors. And I go over to his bookshelf, and I say, uh, Gee, I don't have nothing to read. Uh, how about, uh, can I read one of your books? And he says, Why, uh, of course. Uh, I think you're kind of like that one. The uh, the Art of Pure Reason is very good, although he's a little weak on certain things. We'll talk about... It like, uh, Actually, I think you might enjoy little Kierkegaard. And that was the beginning. This is W.O.R. Radio, your station for news. When Red Skelton crashes through the screen
1: as the yellow cabman tomorrow night on Channel 9, it's a panic, it's a riot.
0: Don't miss Red Skelton along with Gloria Dehaven and Walter Slazak in the yellow cabman. That's tomorrow night, 7.30 on WOR-TV Channel 9's The Big Preview. This is WOR-AM and WOR-FM in New York. It's exactly midnight. It's time for Long John Neville
1: Hi, neighbors. This is Long John once again. We're around from midnight to 5 o'clock, 5 mornings during the week. And, of course, on weekends, we're around till 5.30, and that means we're on the air for some 36 hours a week. And during that time, I have the pleasure of talking with many interesting people. I invited a group of men to be with me this morning to discuss a rather controversial subject, and that is chiropractic. Now, during the years that I've been doing this show, we've had a few shows on this particular subject. In fact, uh, a few weeks ago, we did a few coffee break shows where we talked with Dr. Charles Krasner and also Dr. Robert Davis. Both of these men are chiropractors. And we talked with each of the men for two coffee break sessions. The reason that we sort of got started in this again was because of a bill for licensure which Governor Rockefeller, I understand, will no doubt sign in the next few days. And for some 50 years or so, the chiropractors in the state of New York have been making every effort to have a law that would force any person desiring to practice chiropractic that they would be licensed. According to what I've been told in some 46 states they do have licensing laws. Now, I think the date was March 29th. The Senator Peterson bill was passed by the Assembly, and I decided to get in touch with Dr. Charles Krasner, who was the director of the Chiropractic Association of New York Incorporated. And he joined me one afternoon, and we did two coffee break sessions... I asked Dr. Krasner if he had any opinions on the bill, and he told me that as a chiropractor and as a director of the Chiropractic Association of New York, he thought a lot was accomplished. It certainly wasn't a perfect bill, there was room for improvement, but in general, members of that organization were delighted that at least they have <clears throat> in the state of New York a licensing bill. Now there's another group, another organization, a chiropractic organization. It's known as the Empire State Chiropractic Council. Now this group was represented on these microphones for two coffee break sessions by a Dr. Robert Davis of Scarsdale, New York. I might also add Dr. Krasner practices in Flushing, New York and... Dr. Robert Davis, chiropractor, practices in Scarsdale. Now, Dr. Davis is a member of the Jurisprudence Committee of the Empire State Chiropractic Council, and he told us that he felt that it was not a practical bill. In fact, the president of the Chiropractic Association made... uh, um, uh, statements about the Senator Peterson bill. I'll just read a few of them. He felt that the bill is an extinction bill. He felt that he felt it was a political concession to the drugs and, uh, unfortunately, this stencil that they cut. That is, the Empire State Chiropractic Council is, is a rather poor reproduction, but I'll try to read it the best I can. And this is the statement again. It is a political concession to the drugs and medical lobbyists who operate on fat fees all during the legislative session. It will drive every chiropractor underground and subject him to harassment and shakedown techniques. It prohibits the treatment of over 300 diseases with which the chiropractor is now treating. If Rockefeller signs this bill into law, he will be making an enemy of over 3 million patients in New York State. Who, will, who have benefited from chiropractors over the past years. And he continues to say all decent chiropractors will fight this bill through the Supreme Court and every local district. And we go on and on and on. Now, I'm trying to get myself oriented here. Then I received in the mail from Richard R. Falk Associates, their public relations consultants, representing the... Empire State Chiropractic Council I received a note and it reads as follows Dear John under the chiropractic bill that just passed the Senate and Assembly and is awaiting Rocky's signature numerous diseases are forbidden under penalty of imprisonment and or fines he means forbidden for the chiropractor to treat and he goes on to say Mr. Falk says polio is one of them at present chiropractors treat this Members of the Association Council and many non members, in fact, just about all practicing today, meaning that almost every chiropractor in the state of New York, possibly other states too, but we're only discussing New York at the moment, are treating polio. This is the, the statement on the part of Richard R. Falk, who's public relations consultant for the Empire State Chiropractic Council. They will, of course, go on treating this disease after the bill becomes law, meaning that it's illegal to treat polio, but regardless uh, of the fact that it's illegal, they will continue to treat it. And then he says, but they will not give it a name. No title to your ailment will be the method. Treat the patient, not the affliction. And he continues to say in this letter, and he emphasizes the word all by underlining it, all chiropractors will have to proceed this way. All. Again, And then he tells me in closed literature available in any waiting room of a chiropractor, and they suggest that Dr. Davis is available for interview. Let me get into another area here so we can get up to date on this. Now, also, the Empire Chiropractic Council sent this information on to me or on to many people I don't mean that uh, I've been selected to get this inside information but it seems that the Senator Peterson quote extinction end of quote bill to license chiropractors (laughs) means that the bill will provide fines and prison sentences for chiropractors if they treat asthma High blood pressure, heart trouble, pneumonia, x-rays of certain parts of the spinal column, x-rays of any person under 18, polio, and they go on and on and on. They also say, which I think is rather interesting, but euphemistically, to treat the patient, they will continue to do this, not the disease until someone wants to make a little, quote, shakedown, end of quote, dough, or an M.D. feels neighborhood competition is too high, or the attorney general gets a tip, etc. Thus the bill makes the practitioner, meaning the chiropractor, a sitting duck for an evildoer or enemy. Incidentally, this is the Long John Neville Show. It is not lights out. You possibly thought this material was written by Arch Obler. I can assure you it was not. I am reading this from a release sent to me from the Empire State Chiropractic Council. Now, I think I've given the introductions to the two men representing the chiropractors, Dr. Charles Krasner and Dr. Robert Davis. Dr. Robert Roan is with us. Dr. Roan is not a chiropractor. He is a medical doctor. His specialty is urology. We had the pleasure of talking with him a few weeks ago. Bernard Korosh is vice president of Levitt Holmes Incorporated. Uh, Bernard has been with us many times, and I invited him to join us again tonight because he would have an interest in the subject. However, he is not a medical doctor and not a chiropractor, but as a lay person he is interested in many subjects, including this one. I think we might start this by uh, uh, getting just a a few brief opening comments from the two chiropractors and then we'll go to the medical doctor. We might start with uh, uh, Dr. Davis, who is the head of the Jurisprudence Committee for the Empire State Chiropractic Council. Dr. Davis, I have read Uh, a number of things from various releases that I've received from the organization that you are a member of. Would you want to correct me? Do you think that I have uh, implied in some of my readings uh, something that isn't in this material that I have?